Welcome to the Kiss Marketing Solution Podcast, where we're dedicated to bringing marketing and business knowledge that gets real results. This episode is brought to you by our free social media roadmap. Head to kissmarketing.com.au forward slash free to get your hands on this plus so much more. And now here's your host educator and marketing queen, Sonia McIntyre-Reed. Here with Tom Foster, who is an absolute e-commerce Facebook ad guru. Now, Tom and I have worked together on a couple of client projects over the last maybe 18 or so months, um, and his results are absolutely incredible. Whenever I get stuck with a campaign, Tom is my go-to guy. So I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Tom. I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your journey? Because I know that you, back in the day, say back in the day, it was probably a few years back now, uh, you used to focus on really generating leads for service-based businesses, but now you're focusing on e-commerce. So can you talk to me about what you were doing with service-based businesses and why you made that switch? Yeah, cool. Um, so I've been in, uh, I guess, like the marketing industry game, uh, whatever you want to call it, for, for the last kind of three to four years. Um, I sort of started out with seeing a need for local businesses and, and generating leads. And so um, I started sort of working with uh, local businesses anywhere from like chiropractors right through to gyms, um, dentists, and really helping them generate more leads for their business. Um, but I think over the course of like six months doing that, I am a reasonably driven and um, results-oriented person. I felt like I was doing a lot of the hard work on my end, but um, the clients who I was working with were, were doing a, an incredible job of closing those leads and for whatever reason that sort of came back on on myself. And so um, I guess I sort of at the same time sparked an interest with uh, like dropshipping and e-commerce and um, had a dig myself at, at a dropshipping store and sort of just felt like a passion and a love for um, dropshipping. Um, and I guess that sort of evolved into finding a skill set that was reasonably lucrative in, in the market today. And so I transitioned away from doing leads and then moved into the e-commerce industry. And I've probably been doing that for about two and a half to three years now. Um, I've worked with some pretty great clients and um, it's something that you know I've gone from knowing a minor bit about right through to developing like a real passion for working with e-commerce brands and, and being able to grow the revenue and and all the other things that come with that. So, yeah, it's a little bit about my journey. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, I know that um, here at Kids Marketing, we work a lot with service-based businesses, local businesses, and I absolutely know the feeling when you're working your ass off and you're generating these leads and campaigns and they're just sort of not coming to the party. I feel like there's a lot more variables at play um, when it comes to service-based local businesses versus an e-commerce store where almost that human element is taken out of it to a degree. That said, though... um, I feel like maybe when you first got back into e-commerce, the landscape was very different to what it is now. Can you tell me about sort of the evolution of e-commerce and online advertising over the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the word dropshipping has become something that you either learn to love or hate whether you're in the e-commerce industry. Can you just tell people quickly for what dropshipping actually is? There might be some people that don't know. Cool. Um, so dropshipping essentially is um, a method of being able to sell products 
And I guess there are three parties involved with um, dropshipping. One is the supplier or manufacturer, and that's usually someone found on AliExpress or DHgate. The second party is the person who creates the website, and then the third party is the customer. Essentially what dropshipping is, the middleman, the second party, the person who creates the website, creates it for something, um, and for the sake of this conversation, let's talk about uh, hair extensions. So hair extensions on AliExpress might be $10. The person on the website marks that up to $25, $30, $40, and then markets that product to the customer. Now the customer goes to the website and they purchase through the website that sets off a notification through some automated software that's set up um, that the person who is the manufacturer then sends the product directly from China to the customer and the middleman, the second party, the person who's created that website is able to take um, a profit margin without needing to necessarily touch any of the inventory. And so I guess um, just to, to back up to what I was saying, dropshipping has become something that people either love or they hate. Um, and I think the reason for that is because it really has been um, just uh, something that has transformed the e-commerce industry like we know it today. And so if I'm thinking about the evolution of e-commerce, two to three years ago, people weren't hugely familiar about what um, dropshipping was. And so they would find products popping up on their newsfeed, and as a result of that, they would purchase it only to realize that it might take a month to six weeks to come from China. Now, because of dropshipping and the way that it has sort of caused the customer um, to, I guess, double think the way that they go about buying now, what it's really done is it's, it's meant that it's gone from being enough to just put the right product in front of the right customer at the right time, two and a half years later in 2020, now it's more about taking customers on the, the phrase I use as a customer journey. And so it's actually about building an element of trust with the customer through to the point where they feel comfortable enough to be able to purchase. And so um, a huge, huge buzzword in, in 2019 and 2020 is influencer marketing. And the reason why I guess influencer marketing has so much uh, benefit for people who are trying to sell products now is because you're able to leverage um, an influencer to then build trust with potential customers because they are someone who is esteemed um, on, on social media. People now look up to these people, they're now promoting a product and as a result there are a lot of sales taking place. So as a result of sort of all that I've talked about, the I guess the dynamic of e-commerce marketing has just transformed over the last two and a half years. And so it's gone from, as I mentioned, being able to put the right product in front of the right customer at the right time, now to being more about building a relationship with that customer, taking that, that customer on a customer journey, really helping to build trust. Um, and if I can use an analogy to sort of represent what I'm trying to say, it used to be appropriate to propose to someone on the first date, whereas now in 2020, it's more about um, dating that person, courting them, really getting to know 
know them through to the point where you then feel comfortable to be able to drop a knee and propose to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I love that analogy. I use that when it comes to even organic social media and selling online all the time. You just wouldn't walk up to a girl in the bar and kiss her. You got to get to know her first. So... Yeah, I love that. Okay, so it's it's changed a lot and it sounds to me, if we bring it back to technical terms, um, it used to be about the bottom of the funnel, delivering that product in an ad to someone who's actively looking, right? So that's bottom of the funnel. They're in hunt mode. Now there's a whole lot more that you've got to do at the top of the funnel, this sort of brand awareness, building a relationship, which is often can be really hard to track and quantify the results from that, but then you're using Facebook ads to sort of push them down this funnel. Can you talk to me and explain a little bit more about how you're doing that at the moment in 2020? Absolutely. Um, well, statistically speaking, there is um, one to three percent of people right now on social media who are looking to purchase, which means that 97 to 99 percent of people who are currently scrolling through their feeds on social media aren't actually looking for a product. And so uh, to be able to just try and put a product in front of them and expect them to purchase, you might very often appeal to that 1% to 3% who are actually looking to purchase, whereas everybody else you're going to um, strike out, going to completely miss uh, the opportunity to be able to market well to them. And so now it's, as I mentioned, become more about building trust. And so if we speak about some campaigns that are being run today um, that are actually about trying to, I guess, pique people's interest in um, specific products or services that are offered, it's, um, well, there's a few things that I think about. One, it has to be engaging, um, whether that is through something strange that captures people's attention or it's simply through something that is humorous. What people, the way people promote things now, it needs to be engaging. Secondly, it needs to have a human element to it. And so it can't purely be just about a product and putting that product in front of people, but it needs to have either um, a human there that's showing some kind of emotion or the product showing that is being used. So it needs to be engaging. It needs to have a human element. And then I think, and this crosses over to all different kinds of marketing, but I think it needs a really clear call to action. And so people often confuse calls to action is just saying buy now whereas um, there are different ways to have calls to action in, in 2020 I'm thinking about things like having a blog that you can sort of get people to to then um, like spike their interest in the specific product to then try and sell later on down the track or uh, it can be about showing people um, like a, a video that educates them in terms of the, the benefits of, of the product or um, something that really helps people identify uh, the way that a specific product could solve the problem for them. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but um, really if you miss one of those three, four components, it, uh, I guess it will, will fail. And so I guess that's like top of funnel. That's very, that's the first encounter. I guess that's like the first date with a customer. When I think about like middle of funnel or bottom of funnel, you used that language a little bit before, Sonia. Um, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel basically means people who know about your brand, they've shown some kind of interest in it, but for whatever reason they haven't purchased yet. And so um, people who are, I guess, at this stage of the funnel, it's more about using ways to try and build trust with them. And so I think that this is a point that will probably come up a few times in this podcast, but um, 
to be able to sell, it really is important that you actually build a relationship with your customer. And so um, there are, like I say, completely different uh, spectrum of things that you can try and do for this. But if I think about like campaigns that I'm currently running with some of my clients that um, really is focused on building trust, one of the things that comes to mind is like leveraging influences. Um, I've talked about that already and the importance of that. Um, another one is really showing the different ways that the products can be used. Um, it isn't just enough to promote a product as such. You've actually got to show the way that it's used and the way that it solves problems. Um, another one is just using like members' testimonials. Um, people are uh, enticed to be able to purchase when they see um, other people who have had good experiences um, and that's you know social proof so there are a lot of different ways to be able to do that but um, I guess is that is that a good kind of representation of, of what yeah. you wanted to yeah I think so definitely Let, let's talk technicalities for a second can you run me through um, the kind of ads and the objectives you're running at the top of funnel middle of funnel and bottom of funnel and then how you're then retargeting from that top of funnel down through what does that look like yeah cool um, I don't think there's a one one size fits all kind of solution to a question like that mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of it is dependent on, on where the business is at so I can assume that the audiences that are listening to this have some form of interest in um, e-commerce marketing, mm-hmm. um, but they could they could be anywhere from I guess just launched a store right through to running a multi-million dollar store. But um, I think there are probably a few um, what I would say foundations that can sort of carry across to all of those different um, I guess demographics that are listening. And so um, one thing that, that I always make sure with, with all of the kind of ads that I run is to utilize all of Facebook's data that they have about customers. And so Facebook, um, this might be a shock to people, but Facebook knows more about us than we do about ourselves very often because there is a Facebook pixel on literally every website that we go to, whether that is a news site or that's a product site, whether that's a blog, or um, you know some some form of social media site. Every action that we take on the internet is now being tracked by Facebook, and so Facebook know what we like, what we don't like, how often we go and look at things, how interested we are about different things, and so then because of that, as an advertiser, we have um, a massive opportunity to take advantage of, and that is to leverage a lot of the data that Facebook is building about people. And so one thing that um, I always make sure I do with all of my campaigns is to run them all on a uh, purchase conversion objective. And so basically what that means is I'm showing ads to people with the intention that we would have a purchase. Um, And so that for me is really important because if I go after ad cards, if I go after link clicks, if I go after anything else, then Facebook is going to optimize for that and it's not necessarily going to result in a purchase. But I'm always going to go after a purchase because I want to leverage all of that data. Um, the next thing that I'm thinking about when, when it comes to sort of advertising is the all placements option of Facebook. And so um, it's a great way to be able to utilize the, the data that um, Facebook has. But essentially... Uh, using that all placements option and so really putting I guess the uh, 
ads in Facebook's hands and, and saying, look, we trust that you know our customers better than we do. We want you to um, put them wherever you think is necessary. Oh, that is that is really interesting because three years ago I was teaching people to cut out all of sort of those peripheral options because I felt like they weren't getting any results. But obviously something that I'll touch on really quickly and then oh, sorry for interrupting you is that Facebook has become more and more intelligent over the last three years. So essentially touching things less gives Facebook the best chance to optimize your campaigns without you having to select as many different options. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, there are so many different ways to sort of go about doing things like that. But I was the same as you, Sonia. Um, I was very stuck in my ways of just going about things and trying to do them and trying to maintain as much control as possible mm-hmm. with all of the ads. But I think one of the things that I've had to really learn how to do over the last 18 months is let go of that control trust Facebook, and when I've gone about doing that, uh, results have like, always been better than, than I could have imagined. Oh, amazing. All right, sorry, you were saying? Yeah, cool. The other, the other way um, that I think people can sort of leverage a lot of that, that intelligence or that data that I was talking about, um, regardless of what, what kind of company they are, is something called Dynamic Creative. And so this is a reasonably new feature to Facebook. I think it's been around for a year or so but it's only sort of come into effect as something that is really beneficial over the last six months or so. And that is basically an ad where you give Facebook um, around about like five different photos, five different headlines, five different pieces of copy. Um, and you basically say to Facebook, look, we're giving you all of these things. You try and format them and put them whatever, in whatever sequences that you think is best and then as a result, Facebook will go about um, split testing things on a uh, reasonably uh, fast process to try and identify what sequence goes best to what kind of customer demographics. And so then they start to sort of put these ads together that are far more effective than if we were to go through and manually split test ourselves. Now, the real benefit about that too is Facebook will serve you with the results of their dynamic creative testing. And so if there is anything that you're thinking, okay, well, the cost per click might be too expensive or the rise is low for this kind of photo or this headline isn't resonating the best, you can simply just go through and remove it um, and just continue to let Facebook do its thing with dynamic creative. I could probably go on for days and keep talking about these kind of things, but I'm probably conscious that you have a few other things that you'd like to get through. So, <laughs> No, that... That's that's so interesting and so helpful. And I think even listening to you, even with one of my service-based business campaigns, I'm thinking, all right, let go of control a little bit more, Sonia, let Facebook do its thing. So I'm off to update my Facebook campaigns after I get off this call with you. <laughs> um, something I wanted to touch on as well, which I think we've already sort of spoken about, but I think I get really sick of people in our industry being like, oh, look at our... Um, foolproof formula, we get results for this kind of e-commerce company. And I don't know about you, but I know that say I'm running ads for a plumber in Melbourne and I'm running same ads for a plumber in Sydney and there's literally no change except the location. Messaging is the same, images very similar, 
all of that. I can guarantee you we'll get vastly, vastly different results and we need sort of a a tailored approach to every single client. Is there a formula that will work for every e-commerce business? For the sake of my time, I would love to say yes, but unfortunately, no. Um, I think that there are, like I say, foundational truths when it comes to advertising on Facebook, mm-hmm. but um, there's, no, there's no one size fits all with any business. What, what one business really needs um, will be the detriment to another business, and what is working for someone may be uh, what, what causes a whole campaign to, to fall apart for another. And so in short, no, there's not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So obviously I think you and I have had a lot of tough lessons over the years with the kind of clients you take on and you know that things are going to work for versus the kind of clients that you don't. When you are looking to take on an e-commerce client, I know for me, there are certain things that need to be in place before I will work with someone. For you, what do you look for before agreeing to take on an e-commerce client and scaling with Facebook ads? Yeah, totally. Um, this question might not be as relevant uh, now as it was a few months ago. Over the course of like the last sort of like six months to a year, I've sort of just taken over running um, two main accounts owned by one person. So I don't necessarily take on clients now like I once did, but I know that when I when I used to take on clients, um, especially high ticket ones, I would always want to commit to something that I knew I could get results for. Um, and so the last thing I'd want to do is then to pay me a retainer. I go about running ads and then six months down the track, I've wasted all this money investing in me. I'll put all this time into campaigns, but there are no results to be able to rely on. Um, now this might be a, a tiny bit of a side note, but um, it, because Facebook is so advanced, they're able to tell how much has been spent and how much has been made. And as a result of that, they can produce a very clear ROI about things. And so unless I'm able to get an ROI from, ROI from my client, um, link clicks don't pay the bills, face, Facebook likes don't pay the bills, Instagram follows, they don't pay the bills at the end of the day. The money that comes into an account as a result of the Facebook ads are the things that are able to produce cash flow for a business and able to help a business scale. And so when I, this is, a, this is a really long-winded way of me um, being able to, to say what I look for when it comes to, to clients to take on. I used to have a kind of six-week testing period where I'd go about working with clients and I'd run their ads for six weeks. And if I wasn't able to get a result within those six weeks, then I'd, I'd say to them, and I was transparent from the beginning and saying, um, like, this isn't going to be a good fit. But within that six-week period, what I would be looking for um, is I'd be looking for uh, people who show a high level of interest within the product. Um, and I think in the, in the 21st century, there are a lot of lifestyle products out there, but there are also products that help solve problems. Um, and so if there were lifestyle products that weren't resonating with the target market, then I would just I'd back away and wouldn't work with them. Whereas with products that solve problems for people, um, um, that's a little different because you can actually go about through advertising showing different ways that those products solve those problems and it's a much easier way to market. Um, I feel like this is a really long-winded way of me answering the questions on you, so I apologize for taking up too much time. But um, you're looking for people who are willing to invest. You're looking for people who 
our um, understanding of the ROI that needs to take place in the beginning versus what can take place over time. Um, and then I think on top of all of those things, you're looking for um, people who are going to trust you. And so at the end of the day, I don't know everything, but I can guarantee a lot of the clients who are looking for help, I probably know a little bit more about Facebook than they do. And so actually working with people who are willing to trust what you have to say, willing to trust your methods, willing to trust the way you go about things, I think is really important. And so when it comes to sort of taking clients on, those are the, the, the things that I think of. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I've interviewed someone just before you, totally, totally different industry. She doesn't do Facebook ads, but something she really spoke about was product market fit. So, what I'm hearing you say is that number one, you've got to believe that the market wants the product. Things like um, pre, like sales previously are going to indicate that. It's very hard to take on a client who is just starting a brand new e-commerce store that don't have any form of audience. It's going to take a lot longer to start getting that traction and building that top of funnel to get those sales, especially if you don't have a proven concept within the market. So I don't know about you, but I completely avoid taking on anyone that is just starting up. Yeah. Yeah, it's valid. Um, all right. Something that I always love to ask people is how did you learn this stuff? Like I know obviously you run a lot of campaigns, you're testing, optimizing all the time you read a lot, you're continuously learning, but can you mention some of the mentors and courses and things that you've done along the way that have given you a great foundation? Totally. Um, I'm a massive believer in um, self-education. I think in the the 21st century, the the education, um, whatever the education sector, the education of of students is... um, sort of failing and I don't want to go on too much of a political rant because I'm, this is something that I'm passionate about but I'm a massive believer in self-education. Mm-hmm. Um, now some of the courses that, that I've invested on over the last kind of three or four years in the beginning phase Sam Ovens was someone who played um, a pretty big part in my journey getting started. Um, he's a Kiwi and, and doing some great things around the world and um, very similar to dropshipping when I mentioned the name Sam Ovens you either love him or you hate him but um Sam Evans is my guy. Like he's, I'm a, I'm a day one fan of him, so he's played a, a big part. Um, Ezra Firestone is someone who um, I speak really highly of, and, and he's been someone who I've, I've sort of leaned into his, I guess, Facebook or even even in a bigger sense, like his marketing advice holistically. Um, as well as that, a guy called Tim Bird is someone who runs like a pretty massive agency and is probably who I would say is the leader in Facebook advertising worldwide. Um, And he's someone who, uh, he's not necessarily the sharpest tool in the shed from a communication point of view, but when it comes to his ability to actually test things and learn and things like that, he is, um, he's world-class, he's he's the best there is. Um, And then I guess I've taken all of these different kind of mentors perspectives on things. Um, and I've gone about like testing them for, for my different clients. And then as a result, I've been able to sort of form my own, what I would say, methodology around things. Um, and then I think one of the biggest and, and probably wisest investments that I've made is bringing on um, a personal mentor for myself by the name of Dan Bolton. And so he's someone who um, has just sort of given me great direction about business and um, sort of really helped me to, to grow in the areas that, you know, I was 
uh, uh, once lacking in. Um, and I think through investing in someone like him, I've been able to learn from his mistakes as opposed to learning from my mistakes, which uh, I can assure you, Sonia, would be many. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've just made a little list here for everyone. So if anyone's wanting to check out these different people that Tom has mentioned, um, I'm exactly like you. I'm a big believer in self-education. And again, not going to get off on a political rant, but I feel like unless you're becoming a doctor or a lawyer, uh, a lot of university-based education dates so quickly. And it's 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 funny, I've even got a mentor of mine. Um, she was one of my university lecturers and she gave me a job at the uni while I was still there and she even said to me, if the course has a textbook, don't do it because it's going to date way too quickly. <laughs> so, I think so. I think so. Well, thanks so much for your time, Tom. Um, I'm very excited. Tom has just told me that he's moving to Melbourne, so that will be fantastic. I'll finally get to meet him after you know, 18 months of being internet friends. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you, Tom? It sounds to me like you're kind of booked up client-wise, but hey, if people want to follow your journey, where can we find you? Yeah, um, probably Instagram is is the best way for that. Um, I don't, I'm not massive on having like a you know social media presence, but Instagram is uh, the place where it's probably less about business and more about life. But um, for people who sort of, I guess, want to follow follow the journey and see me move across the world, uh, and you can find me on uh, Instagram. Excellent. What's your handle? Tom Foster, and then three underscores. It used to be Tom Foster NZ, but then I realised if I'm if I'm moving to Australia, I sort of need to change that. So I tried all of these different handles, and the three underscores was the one that sort of worked the best. Excellent. So Tom Foster and a big underscore line, essentially. So, all right. Um, all right. Thanks so much for your time, Tom. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. We'll see you later. You've been listening to the Marketing Solutions Podcast with Sonia McIntyre-Reed. Don't forget to get your hands on our awesome freebies that will get you on your way to marketing success. Head to kissmarketing.com.au forward slash free.